Hello and welcome to Wine Times, the podcast brought to you in association with the Sunday Times Wine Club with me, Mikita Oliver. And me, Will Lyons, the Sunday Times Wine Columnist and Vice President of the Sunday Times Wine Club. And this show, Will, is quite fantastically all about wine. Red, white, rosé, sparkling. Italian, French, Australian, South African and all the rest. That's right. This series, we're going to be tasting our way through those tannins, which you're going to explain to me what that means later on. I, really I will. Because I really don't know. <laughs> and we won't be doing it alone. No, not at all. Who do we have, Will? Oh, you can't do it alone. So no, so every episode, we'll be joined by a well-known guest for some good wine, good times, and good conversation. This is like so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> and remember, the wines featured in this episode and all others are available through the Sunday Times Wine Club. If you haven't signed up yet, there'll be a link in the episode description for you. I mean, I love them. They sent me a huge case of wine already. So I love them. So whether you're an expert with a broad palate or you just tend to stick to the house stuff in this show you're sure to find something that will suit your taste we're here in the wonderful Wadadley kitchen it's beautiful it's just beside the river lee in london's hackney wick it's owned by the incredible vivacious stunning talented broadcaster and chef andy oliver who is a wonderful woman she's also my mother yes she's my mother Sipping with Will and I today is the author, podcaster and dog whisperer, Emily Dean. You'll recognise her voice as the co-host of Absolute Radio's Weekend Breakfast Show with Frank Skinner and also from her podcast series, Walking the Dog, where she's joined by her Shih Tzu, Raymond. But many of you may also have had the privilege to read her book, Everybody Died So I Got a Dog, which is both a deeply moving and beautiful account of her experience of having to deal with trauma and grief. Emily, welcome to Wine Times. I'm so excited to be here. A friend of mine did once buy me a case of wine from the Sunday Times, and cupcakes are nice, but that was a welcome sight on my doormat. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Yeah. And it was gorgeous. It was a while ago. Yeah. We and called it the Box of Dreams. I got one. It was the Box of Dreams. Have you had the Box of Dreams? Yeah, it was great. It's great. Once you get it, it's very hard to go back, yeah. isn't it? Can't go back. Once you've had the box of dreams, <laughs> Makita. Yeah, exactly. But I, I'm full disclosure, I did say to you, didn't I, before I yes. came on here, that I'm a bit wimpy with alcohol. I can drink, but I just like to know that I'm not getting drunk, if that makes no, sense. I think, it's, I think it's brilliant. I mean, the older I get, the more um, discipline I have. So I'm very good now at having a couple of glasses and saying that's enough. But also, I used to, I remember when I was learning about wine, back in the mid-90s, and there was a lecturer called Michael Romer who used to say, wouldn't it be nice if you could take the alcohol out of wine? And we looked at each other as, you know, students, like, what is he talking about? But actually it would be nice because you get all the flavours and everything. And as you get older, you don't want to have a, a, a huge slug of alcohol yeah. every, every time you It's quite you, the commitment to decide to get drunk rather yeah. than have some wine. Yeah. Oh, what I don't like, Makita, though, is that he was looking directly at me as he kept saying, as you get older. <laughs> no, no, sorry, I was talking about myself. Um, I was talking I'm about just myself. saying you didn't look at Makita <laughs> Don't burn that gaze over here. Not okay. Thank you. I'm just saying, I know. Already. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Do you remember uh, when it was you first started to drink wine? It sounds so funny. When did you start when drinking? When did you start drinking? I feel like I'm in therapy. <laughs> well, um, my parents, I grew up in a very bohemian sort of media family. So wine was a very big part of that. 
my mum was an actor, so I don't really need to say anymore. Right, no, <laughs> and my dad worked for the BBC, so yeah. my sister and I, they weren't very conventional people, yeah. so they didn't teach us how to tie shoelaces. I still can't really do it. Um, which is why I have to wear. It's <laughs> true. I'm really bad at tying shoelaces, so I wear trainers with velcro. <laughs> oh my goodness! And we they can never... teach you to tie your shoelaces, surely. Would you? <laughs> I love that. And they yeah. didn't teach us how to ride bikes or those sort of life skills. They didn't teach us, but they did teach us that you had to let red wine breathe and how to use corkscrews and the important things. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you would say that. Um, and you do drink less these days. Is there is there a particular reason or you just feel like you wanted a change. Yeah, do you know what? I was never... I think with me, it was probably about four years ago, I just started to feel the effects of alcohol. And as has already been pointed out, I'm a little older now. So yeah. <laughs> I think it was my... <laughs> I'm not going to let... No, he's not going to let that go. <laughs> if I will sit next to yeah. Peter Oliver, the most glamorous, beautiful woman in the world. Um, but yeah, so I did... I sort of just felt... It was more the, the hangovers. Yeah. And it wasn't alcohol. And the thing is, I'm actually... You know, a lot of people say, oh, I just don't like the taste of alcohol. I always loved the taste of alcohol. I actually liked, again, the whole process of, of sort of drinking wine. I just don't like getting drunk. Yeah. And I don't like the hangovers. So that's why I'm making you do low alcohol wines uh, today. Now, I know very little about <laughs> low alcohol <laughs> wines. Tell me more about that Well, world it's a world. challenge. So it is a challenge that I don't think I've met this week. So um, I'm really in favour of this. I mean, th- there is a huge movement, particularly the evidence, I think, points to the younger generation, actually, wanting to drink, uh, you know, non-alcoholic drinks or, or drink less. And uh, I suppose they're more aware of their health, uh, perhaps. Um, but interestingly, the beer market has really stolen a march on the wine market. So whereas there's a plethora of really interesting, I think, low-alcohol, non-alcohol beers. And Heineken have just bought out a draft beer. Uh, that's, pre- that's non-alcoholic? Yeah. Wow. And, you know, you get, if you go to your local... Just get, go to your local um, uh, supermarket. You, you can get Ghost Ship and Brewdog. And they're pretty decent, actually. I think with wine, the point is, it goes back to this... It's connected to the land. It's, it's artisan farmers. And as we were saying... Uh, uh, we, we, uh, on the episode last week, you can almost, you know, see the vineyard where the wine is made on the label. And winemakers are just interested, really, in making great wine as opposed to non-alcoholic wine. Because you then have to... There's two ways you can do it. You can either pick your grapes... The sort of um, viticultural techniques, so that's pick your grapes a little earlier. Or you can um, extract the alcohol out in the winery. But it, But... That there's never been a very convincing so it does, example. It, so it absolutely opinion. is a completely new process for a winemaker to make non-alcoholic wine. Yeah. And, and so yes, it's um, and there was th- th- there were several okayish examples. So what I've done today. What have is, we got today? What are the yeah, okayish well, ones? Is I've, I've got some sort of r- rules of thumb. That, that, that we could do and, and, and I'm worried I've got the okay-ish one. We get we get more degrees. Sort of lower <laughs> alcohol. And I'm not talking, um, you know, because if you think the average alcohol. Uh, average percentage alcohol of a bottle of wine in the UK, I think, if you if you go to the WSTAs, is thirteen point two percent. I was going to say nine. Yeah, yeah, thirteen point two. Is that low? And because it's because of the, the sort of, well, that's quite. I think that's 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 fairly high actually. Yeah. I mean, when, when I first started drinking wine in the late nineties, mm. it was between eleven and twelve percent. But because we've got 
two factors. We've got warming climate, but also a stylistic change. If you pick right. your grapes later, uh, they have more sugar, they're sweeter, and they're more drinkable. They're more supple, so people love them, but the alcohol percentage has crept up. So something like oh. red Bordeaux is now 14 percent, 13, 14. Sometimes so stay in, away from that. <laughs> in a hot year, it could be 15 percent, and 15 is the same as sherry, really. So, so my so advice. So it's all is, about picking the grapes. Yeah, well, it's, it's all about cooler climates. Right. So we need to look at uh, the cooler climates. So you're looking at places like Champagne. Oh, that um, sounds like me. Canada, uh, Germany, Tasmania, England. But our journey starts in, we have to start in France. So we're in the Loire Valley. Oh, are we? Yeah, yeah. With the famous wine, which isn't particularly, sorry, this is going to sound ludicrous. It's not particularly low alcohol at all, but it's 12. So it's it's old fashioned. Okay. And can you just remind me again, what did we say the average was then? 13.2. Okay, so it's... Yeah. And as you can hear, it's a screw cap. Can I ask you about screw caps? Yeah, does it, does it mean they're worse? (laughs) I don't know. Because, Makita, I'm the same. I've always, I've seen some really nice wines, and I've been in shops and I've asked the man, it's not always the man, (laughs) but I've asked the person serving me to recommend a wine, and they'll say, well, this is incredible, you know, the wine geeks. Mm. And they'll direct me to a screw cap. And yeah. also, oh no, I don't like the cap. It's true. You can't turn yeah, up to a house I mean, party with a screw cap. Well, it's a bit like uh, the punt at the, at the bottom. You know, if it's deeper, is it is it better quality of wine? The thing about screw caps is, they were sort of southern hemisphere uh, inventions. So it was Australia and New Zealand that really drove this. And again, I wouldn't want to be. Well, I am quoted on this because I'm on the podcast. But <laughs> okay, so what happened was in the 80s, you had this huge. Um, democratization of wine in the UK and we were buying a lot more wine from Australia and New Zealand who were getting their corks from Portugal but and I, I wasn't I wasn't really drinking wine in the 70s and 80s but I believe from people like Robert Joseph who was chairman of the International Wine Challenge about two bottles in every 12 were corked and the Australians and the New Zealanders just had a complete had enough of this so they invented the screw cap um, I have been to a very posh tasting at something called the Institute of Masters of Wine Ooh. in London. There's only 392 in the world. This is the kind of places where... Yeah, there's more grand chess <laughs> masters. And, <laughs> and um, this was by the great Chateau Margaux. There's definitely a special handshake. <laughs> yeah. No, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> and they were... And they're trialling over many years um, their top wine. And they're, they're bottling it under screw cap, under cork, under cork that's made from artificial sort of uh, diameter, and under glass as well. And the, I went to a tasting at the Institute of Masters of Wine, just to say it again, about 10 years ago. It was 10 years, eight years ago. And we were served all those wines, but we weren't told which stopper they were under. And we had to make notes and give our opinion. And what was interesting is the corks let in a little bit of air. So you get a slight more character of the wine, a slightly more farm, you know, funky farmyardy, what we were talking about last week, so earthy character. Yeah, natural. Mm. Screw cap doesn't let in any air. Right. So it's completely pure flavour. So you do lose a tiny bit. It's a bit more clinical. But they're mm. perfect for wines like this, for white wines, for picnics. Let's be honest, that's a, a Chateau Margaux, and that's a very rarefied wine. Most wine is made to be drunk as soon as you buy it. Um, so yeah. this is gorgeous looking. It's almost gold. Yeah, well. so we're at the bottom of the uh, um, Loire Valley. We're in the, this is Muscadet. One of the most, again, a, a sort of famous wine from the 70s. Probably one that your 
you know, you wouldn't well, they used. Can I tell you what? They used to have the wine box sometimes as yes, well. Yes. <laughs> and there was a thing called Paul Masson's Californian Carafe, California Carafe, which was everyone had, which had a weird, which was kind of a round top, like screw yes. top. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was sort of, there were a number, as you said, it was, a, you know, it was when wine became, there was a democracy around wine. So you had sort of Le Piador and all yeah, these yeah. things. Which, I love that era. Yeah. Um, I'm very excited to taste this. <laughs> so, mm. the thing about the Loire Valley in terms of winemaking style, it's a collection of villages and grape varieties, but the, the common thread is freshness. They're all about sort of aperitif wines, wines that you would have in your fridge door and just pull out when you come, yeah. come home from work, or whether you stop work now, because we're all working from home. And this is a Muscadet, so it was very popular in the 70s and 80s, and used to be sort it of, you know... It smells like the 70s. Yeah. The grape variety isn't saving on it. Do you know what I mean? This so yeah. smells like my parents' Not kitchen. that I was alive then, yeah. but it just smells, I don't know. The grape variety is melon. Yeah. She's done it again. <laughs> melon Not that I was alive then. <laughs> and then what happened was they, they became so popular, they went for quantities, their yields went, but they, they lacked quality. And like another really old famous uh, region in France, Beaujolais, it's now coming back. Mm. New generation, taking it really seriously, not making as wi- m- m- much wine, but going for, for quality. Mm. And, you know, it's, it's, it's really old-fashioned to say, look, I'll have some muscadet, but it's, and it's perfect. Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> so that is good. That's mm. a re- God, that sits so in your mouth, So it's leafy, it? tangy. Mm. Almost salty on the aftertaste, mm. isn't it? Yes, I was going to ask what it does taste like, yeah. but I like it. Yeah. And we've spoken about this. Wine isn't always about fruit. It can have flavours that are savoury and sour and salty, which actually is very appropriate. Um, so is that grape more tangy generally? Yeah, so it's the, the, the grape variety is Melon de Bourgogne. It's a, it's a little like... A Sauvignon. It's, it's in that sort of crisp, aromatic, lean white wines. Yeah. And it's it's a shoo-in. I know it's really old-fashioned to say this, with oysters and shellfish. I mean, half a dozen oysters. It does make you want to eat fish, though. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, it does. It just wants to, um, you know, pick you up. It's a father and son. It's Christophe and Pierre-Henri Gadet. And, um, Do you have memories of France, Emily? Well, we... I mean, it won't surprise you to know when you hear a bit about my family that we did used to go there occasionally. Yes, um, the Bohemian tribe. The Bohemian tribe, we did. Mm. We would always pitch up, always late, always arrive with wine as well. That was always, that, that was another thing, that my parents would never have dreamt of going to someone's house without a bottle of wine. They would have just considered that really bad manners. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that was drummed into me. And actually what was brilliant was when I was a child, when we were young, my sister and I would bring wine. We <laughs> were <laughs> <laughs> quite young to friends' houses to give to the parents. Right. So we would sort. It's really strange. Isn't par- it? All the parents were like loved those kids. Like they'll bring wine. <laughs> but like, you didn't think wine kids. Yeah, where's the wine kids? <laughs> you didn't think anything of it because you knew no different. We would just turn up and say thank you so much, and then we would <laughs> hand over the bottle of wine to the parents because I think it was my parents thinking. Well, actually, this is a bit of a nightmare for the parents. They're having to do all the work. They're yeah. hosting you. Yeah. So, but yeah, we would. Um, I think definitely, whenever I've travelled, just going to France and Florence. Actually, I don't know if we'll be going. We'll be visiting yeah. that region, but just those. When you have wine in those areas, it just really sticks out in your mm. mind. I'm going to sound pretentious, but it is that very Proustian thing, isn't it? That yeah. If you smell that, and when um, Makita said that, I know what you mean. It. it it does smell of my childhood this bit, which yeah. is, was that sort of, it's a slightly crisper 
wine. Yes. Isn't it? So the, isn't this a big is thing crisp, in the... lean, and and it's funny you talk about that Prussian thing. So that's sort of memories. I always associate these sorts of wine with days like today when it's really mm. cold, mm. but the sun's shining. I mean, I don't go skiing, but I imagine if you were skiing, this would be a nice thing to, because it just sort of and you, and you go into the wine bar. Imagine you're in Paris, you know, by the canal, so much. You go in and, and it's warm and you can smell the fog of the kitchen. And then you have a nice glass of white wine. It just picks you up, doesn't yeah. it? If you're going skiing, though, that's why I'd never go skiing, because I'd just I'd sit in the bar. <laughs> you'd just be, what, well, what do well. they call it? Après skiing. Après skiing. Après skiing. just be après skiing. <laughs> very much for listening to this episode of wine times in association with the sunday times wine club remember the wines featured in this episode and all others are available through the sunday times wine club if you haven't signed up yet there'll be a link in the episode description for you where are we going now on our journey across well, the world so we're and we will come to a, a slightly lower alcohol. so a good rule of thumb as well if you're tr- trying to sort of keep the alcohol on the moderate side yeah as i say cooler climates so sparkling wine and sparkling wine never creeps up in because you want that tart acidity um we're not going to champagne uh, we're actually going down it to was nice seeing you no, sorry. <laughs> are you gonna leave now <laughs> um let me pour it out we're going actually down to believe it or not provence oh for a sparkling rosé oh Lovely. Made near too long. So excited. <laughs> I do love. And I do love. I mean, it? come on. It's November when we're recording this, but let's just think of Provence in the summer. Mm. This and is. The, I like this already. You know, the land of tomato and garlic and mm. vivid blue skies, lavender thyme. I just love Provence. Didn't you? And it's interesting, isn't it? So this is sparkling wine, not champagne, yeah. as you say. But that's. I feel, again, that snobbery there used to be a little bit about that. I remember there's that great line in um, Peep Show, and someone turns up and says, oh, and rings Prosecco, and says, oh, thank you, and you've almost brought champagne. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there did used to be that attitude a bit, that it was this sort of poor relation. But I think that it feels like it's in its own right. It's kind of respected and yeah, celebrated. Yeah, I think also now that we have so much good sparkling wine available in the UK, that it's not almost at, at, at affordable prices, but by which I mean five pounds to, to, to well, five pounds to five hundred pounds, I suppose. But it, but it, it's it's one of those lovely affordable luxuries. I was thinking about this during lockdown. You know, it's it, you don't have to spend forty pounds a bottle or even twenty five pounds a bottle to have that nice. You know, just a glass of fizz before supper. Five pounds for prosecco does always shock me. I do think yeah, that's, that's cheap. That is cheap, actually. So <laughs> and then also, I go buy the nine pound. This bottle looks much more expensive yeah it does it looks lovely yeah. it's a really beautiful rounded shape at the bottom there and it's kind of almost a coppery color isn't it? yeah and i think it's um again this isn't a you know keep going on about this intellectual wine but it's it's just a wine of of that, that i think reflects provence which is essentially sunshine exuberance and the sheer joy of of good living isn't it really it's not a wine you want to think it's a, it's a couple of glasses and then let's go in for lunch you know it's, you know what I mean? Yeah. But it's enormously popular. Is it? Yeah. So, well, sorry, I shouldn't have said that before you you tasted (laughs) it. Now the pressure's on. (laughs) Bloody better be good, Will. (laughs) It's like very, very fizzy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
low, really quite. That's like a high fizz level. Yeah. Is that a thing? I like it. I like yeah. that it's fizzy. It's a whole party in your it's mouth. It's like it's Alan Carr in a drink. <laughs> it's, that's what I mean. It's like fizzing away. Yeah. But it's like we've gone from our wine bar in Paris to a picnic. Emily, let's talk about your lovely dog Ray. <laughs> I should have brought him. Today. Oh my god! Absolutely, you should have. And how old is Ray? Ray is four. Okay. I lie about his age sometimes. I don't lie about my own age. Emily, <laughs> why do I do that? <laughs> to keep Ray young, or because you forget? It's because he's small, and I feel a bit embarrassed that he's small. And I think when people say how old is he, I feel the next part of that is well, I hope he's going to grow. Right. And so I think I'm quite a people pleaser. So what I say. So I lie. I think, well, I'll take six months off his age. <laughs> like, they care. The person I see in the park is going to like me more because my dog is six months younger. Yeah. And I've got into terrible trouble sometimes where I've told one person he's three, another he's three and a half, mm. and those two worlds can't that's ever the, collide. And also, that's what I mean, you've got to keep up with the lies. Like, I thought you said your dog was four. You're like, oh, yes, of course. It's awful. <laughs> it's awful. It's like, oh, there's Raymond, he's a four-year-old. No, I was told he was two, two yeah, years, four really. months. But they are just the greatest companions ever, really, aren't they? Well, you've got... What's your dog? Have, I have a dog with my parents called Scout, but recently, because uh, I've recently started to live alone, I, she stays with me a lot, and I just she's my best friend <laughs> in the world. Aww. And I do feel that quite purely. Is that how you feel about Ray? I mean, I can't even begin to describe. You know, people watch those sort of dog weddings on this morning and laugh at them. I, t- I sit there very seriously mm. thinking yeah. this seems like a good idea. Mm. No, I do... I, I, do a really because he did on a serious level you know he came into my life at a time when he was just so amazing just having him because I'd had a, a, quite a tough time and just having Ray suddenly in my life he just brought utter joy into my life and every night I I say to him I say oh, I'm so grateful you're so you're, I'm so lucky to have you you're such a lovely little boy and he goes to the end of the bed and puts his ass in my face <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, yeah but that's really him saying I love you too yeah <laughs> and Ray came into your life after a really terrible time and, and lots of bereavement for you and um you did write quite honestly about that time did it did it help being able to yeah write do you know what I think it's it was one of those things where my sister died very suddenly and then my both my parents died and it was all you know I used to joke very darkly it was kind of it was a bit um Game of Thrones episode where they they just didn't space all the bereavements out they mm. just thought let's let's kill them all in one go but it was tough it was really hard just because nothing prepares you for that amount of loss in one go like that and I think the dog thing was just my sister had always really loved dogs and she had bought a dog um she'd got a dog called Mr Giggles and he was very comforting to her two daughters because she, I have two nieces oh, okay. um, who I help my brother-in-law look after now and they're, they're lovely little girls, but it was very hard for them. And I felt just, it's funny how the presence of a dog, just even things on at the church, you know, it's frightening for kids going into an environment like that and everyone's in black and there's all these sort of, you know. Yeah. And just, we decided to bring the dog in. And the vicar was like, well, it's, it's highly irregular. And I was like, the dog's coming. <laughs> Mr. Giggles is coming. Okay. I'll take it up with God. But it was, it was great. And it just brought this spontaneity and joy into it. And I think, so yeah. So after that, I was determined to get a dog. And I did. And I called him Raymond because I wanted it to sound like the sort of old man in Coronation Street. You know, yeah. those yeah. old school names. And my sister was called Rachel. So it was kind of a nod to her without it being a bit weird. So he's called Ray. So yeah. So he, thank you for Ray, really. Thank you for Ray. He's my ray of sunshine. Yes. And you know, yeah. I'm going to say, 
This is a bit of a ray of sunshine for yeah. me. Oh, so if Ray was a wine, he'd be this. Wow. We've never had that. <laughs> he would be. Yeah. He would be because it's very, it's sort of effervescent and it's, it's fun, isn't it? Yeah. It's a good time wine. Yeah, exactly. It, you don't want to think too much about it. And also, as you know, life can get extremely difficult. So you do need these periods of, of moments when you just forget about things and it's silly, you know, just have enjoyment and... Yeah. And uh, that sometimes we, 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 we forget that, don't we? Well, where are we going next? We're, going, we're leaving France and we're going all the way over to the other side of the world, to a country where oh, we, we have been to a lot in this series. We're going back to New, to New Zealand and we're going to the tip of the South Island, to a place called Nelson. I know. Um, I'm not, this is my... I'm from, well, my father's in New Zealand. Oh, fantastic. Mm. He would thoroughly approve of this. So, you know, now, so it's famous for hops, berries, kiwis... Nuts and cheese, and also kiwis, as in New Zealanders. Is that no, you're as in, no, as in the kiwi fruit, as in the fruit. <laughs> it's also home to New Zealand's oldest pub, the wow. Mooter Inn, that was formed in 1850. Apparently, wow, wow. Um, is this a red? It's a sweet wine. It's a sweet. <gasps> now, this is so I you love a sweet wine. <laughs> oh, Will, you've done so well. You substitute alcohol for sugar. Okay. So it's got residual sugar, but it's less alcohol. So, so you know, as a rule of thumb, you know, this is 10.5. You see, my favourite wine, when I did drink wine, I always liked, I always wished I could just order dessert wine. Really? Because I like, there's a Hungarian Tokai. Yes. Which is one of my favourites, which I tasted at the Fat Dark, and I wrote it down, and then I went online and found out the price, and I cried. (laughs) What kind of price could you pay for a Tokai? Well, we have one at the Sunday Times Wine Club, and also I just... Bash the... uh, Yes. But but, but their top wine is called Essentia. Look and that's in, that's incredibly valuable. This is this is I think probably the prettiest wine you've ever poured yeah, for me. This is orange and gold. Oh, they can't see it, but it's it's a golden is, hue, isn't it? This would lure me back in. <laughs> oh right. Oh sorry, I should. To be. drinking club no, because <laughs> this is my dream kind of wine. Oh my god, I'm yeah. so happy we've ended in New Zealand <laughs> with your dream wine. Very good job, Will. Talk me through oh, this. It's my yes. fantasy. So, the grape variety is uh, um, Riesling. Beautiful. And bottle. it's set up by the uh, Seafried family, who are Austrians, who came to New Zealand um, in the early 70s, thinking, well, the plan was to pick apples and, and have an orchard. But they diversified, and they now make very good wine, and they make sweet wine and um, red wine. What you're getting on the note? It's um, amazing. It's heady. Oh, it's it's. I'm gonna go. It's lush. It's lush, but, but you know when you um, when you peel a tangerine, an easy peeler, and then you smell. You probably don't know this, but you smell the inside yeah. of the skin. You get that on the note. So as as opposed to a Sauternes, this is much more citrus. Mm. It is actually. So yeah. so um, the great thing about Tokai with Tokai, you get notes of apricot and honey and sort of marmalade, but you get that wonderful acidity. Mm. So turn in France is much richer. Um, and with this, I think you, it's more, so it's perfect for Christmas because you want something always at Christmas to lift you up because you're having so much food. <laughs> and this is such a gastronomic marathon, isn't it? <laughs> and, um, I would love this at Christmas. This is exactly what you want to drink yeah. at Christmas. You this every day. And this on a Wednesday and Christmas. And is it, it feels like again, it's more sort of socially acceptable to have sweeter wines now. 
Yeah. There's no sort of sh- there's no shame. You're not shamed. Was it was it an embarrassing choice at one point? Well, I think it was all that sort of Abigail's party, wasn't it? And, mm. and that sort of you know Black the seventies, yeah. Rieslings were just seen as a sort of. But I think it's it's good to have oh it God. as a as a pudding. I tasted that one. Whoa, that yeah. is beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> You're a fundamentally changed woman. It's <laughs> absolutely beautiful. I've never really looked into sweet wines. That is stunning. I didn't spit it out either. That you shouldn't. I don't think we should. That is one of the nicest wines I've ever had. So what they do is wow. they leave the grapes. You can imagine just shrivel up, and imagine a grape when it's young and tart. It's got lots of acidity and it's a bit sour. But as it gets older and riper. Why Sugar doesn't comes the producer out. need to have this? I know, seriously, life. Ben, you need to try this. It's now, so good. When you've recorded it all. I believe it's got 200 grams of residual sugar, so there's a lot of sugar in there. Yeah, but it's a party. It's a big hit. <laughs> have it as a real indulgent treat in the afternoon. Oh, the wine. I was going to say the morning, but there you go. <laughs> yeah, and you can have it with... Have <laughs> <laughs> a real <laughs> indulgent treat. Have it in your coffee. You can this at any hour of the day. <laughs> but you can have it with pate or... Yes. Imagine say after this right? podcast, you'll get in touch <laughs> with me. I'll say, oh, I'm taking oh, yeah, advice. I've, I've got into I start a... every morning with an <laughs> indulgent treat. I start every day with a glass of sweet, Agnes. Well, I've never seen this happen, but is it in, in Venice? Um, the older ladies have a little glass. Oh, here glass. we go again. No, but I mean, I'm talking about elderly ladies. Unbelievable. Elderly ladies. In there. Um, so, okay, so how would I say this correctly? Um... Ladies of a mature, in, the, in their 60s. Yeah, with, beautiful. With, or, or with, so, um, that they have a small glass of Prosecco right. with their espressos, uh, oh. uh, sort of mid-morning, just a, but just like a shot. And it picks you. That's the thing. We get, we, you know, we, we poured out, I poured out, sorry, an enormous glass of this. Yes. But just a small glass. And they're micro-dosing as well. They're basically <laughs> micro-dosing. That's what they're doing, aren't they? <laughs> What's this called? This is Seafried. Um, oh, it's a Seafried. Yeah, Seafried. So it's a sweet Agnes uh, Riesling. And it's not embarrassing to ask for Riesling. No one no, will judge me. No, I, 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 I won't I, be like educating Rita. No, no. I mean, Riesling is seen as the most um, sophisticated grape variety, actually. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. Um, and of course, you, you have the podcast, Walking the Dog. Um, such a lovely, simple, beautiful idea. Do you, do you feel that people are a lot more honest when they're A, outside be with their dogs yes this is what you do makita we've both cracked the code mm. ply them with alcohol <laughs> or take them for a walk with their dog yeah because i think there's something about the simple act of walking because you're not focused on someone so you can sort of get you know by it's just a sort of stealth like thing it's also that west wing walk and talk thing mm. i think important conversations are good to be had on the move i, yeah, I completely yeah. do you know what agree. i mean I completely agree and um it has been quite a massive success were you expecting that do you know i think uh, with you i'm gonna make you come on now we're gonna have to make yeah. it because i want this yes I, I really want to come you're on you're doing I it think we, i think we um, said can we do it next year we will <laughs> we will we will um because I definitely think with, whenever I sort of invite people on, I just, and I'm sure you feel the same when you're doing this, because this is very informal, and I wanted the same thing. I just think, I wanted it to be fun, and I found out, it's so weird, I had, I think one of my favourite guests was Jeremy Paxman. Oh, yes. Because his, I turned up to meet him, and his dog was called Derek. Hello? I mean, <laughs> I heard him. I saw him standing there, Bermuda Short, saying, Derek, you silly idiot, what are you doing? <laughs> and you've interviewed a lot of people, but 
I'm sure there are some people that you've been terrified of. Oh, God, yeah. And actually, with Paxman, it was interesting because I, what I realised, he was so nice. He talked about his family. He really opened up. And he talked about Derek, who he just adored. Mm. And he talked about his depression and stuff. He was just really sort of open. But I realised, actually, the reason we're also terrified is we only ever see him in a combat situation. Because mm. that's his job. Yeah. Yeah. Is to, and to see him in the opposite environment when he was with Derek... Um, I mean, I even said to him at one point, Makita, I started calling him Jezza. I don't know why. <laughs> That's how comfortable it got. But yeah, I said, I said, come on, Jezza. And then the producer looked at me as if to say, really? You just You're got going Jeremy with Jezza. He was fine. I said, do you mind me calling you Jezza? He said, I rather like it. Yeah. And we got an ice cream. Mm. It was great. So, but yeah. I love Jeremy Paxman. I knew he'd be a darling. Yeah. And who, who was your favourite dog? Not person, <gasps> dog. Oh, great question. I mean, Derek's in my top five. Yeah. Just simply the fact that he's called Derek. Yeah. What kind of dog um, is Derek? Derek is a, I think he's a spaniel, Ooh, maybe. Of course, yeah. spaniel, maybe. I get a lot of cockapoos on the, on the podcast. Most of the dogs, sometimes if people don't have dogs, they'll borrow dogs. So like Rob Bryden came on and he said, um, it, it got quite confusing because I said, oh, I'm happy to provide a, you know, a dog. And he went, I'd like a golden retriever, please, Emily. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a very simple exchange. And he said, oh, yes, that'll do. But then he, he didn't, and though it's really lovely working with them as well because it gives people, it, that's what you should do, is actually people buy dog, go and get dogs, and it's like spend time with the breed. Greg Davis did it, and he asked for, <laughs> Greg yeah, Davis. Yeah, Greg Davis ask for? He said, well, I can't go with one of your silly little dogs. I'm going to look ridiculous. So he said he wanted a big dog. So I got him... Rottweiler, but it turned out it wasn't full Rottweiler. It was part Rottweiler, part German Shepherd. Unfortunately, that's called a Rotten Shepherd. <laughs> and he walked around with this dog. He, lo- he fell in love. He with fell the in love shepherd. with it. Well, it's been lovely. I, I did want to ask you your favourite wine. But I think we damn well know. Is this your favourite? Absolutely. This is my favourite wine in the world now. <laughs> Do you know what? I'd say I like this almost as much as I like Jeremy Paxman's Doc Derrick. Wow. <laughs> okay, so this is number one. This wins. That is it from us today. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Wine Times in association with the Sunday Times Wine Club, produced by Ben Mitchell. You can follow the podcast so you never miss an episode. Just do this via your normal podcast provider. We'll be back next week with more delicious wines and another great guest, great company, good stories. And remember, all of the wines we tasted today are available from the Sunday Times Wine Club website. Thank you again to A Dadly Kitchen and thank you to my mum for letting us drink wine in her space. Oh, thank you, Will. Mm. Thank you, Will. Pleasure.